swinging free kick and a chance here for Kelly. He scored! David Kelly! Trapped a level against all the odds! Jennings. There's the kick. Scoreboards! This is Buxton, away from Backinson, this is Pringle, now Caprice, Caprice with the cross, the header, it's in, it's Conor Jennings! Tramere Rovers, who's double dip, let's it out well! Okay, welcome to the This Is Tramier podcast in association with the official Tramier Sports Club. Uh, we've got another isolation interview uh, for you today and uh, delighted to have on the other end of the phone, Mr. Dave Higgins, Tramier legend. How are you, mate? Hi, Paul. How are you, mate? Doing fine, thanks. Yeah, I'm very good. How is the isolation treating you, Dave? Well, at the moment, I'm still working so I can get out and about, but uh, I feel sorry for these people who have been, like, furloughed, if you like, and, you know... It's just a shame this stage of the season, especially football-wise, with somebody were on a three-game away win, you know, and we were on a run, maybe, and all of a sudden, bang, never happened before. Let's hope it never happens again. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, so let's touch on that just uh, just quickly before we move on to the to the main bulk of the interview today. Sure. Um, obviously, Rovers were in fantastic run of form. <coughs> kind of built up a, a bit of momentum, and that's kind of been stuck Spotted somewhat with uh, with obviously what's gone on. If the season is to continue, how would you think that's going to sort of play a part and impact the you know the, the the final few games of the season that they've got to play? Well, you know, before this three match win, all away games by the way, which is tremendous. You've got a lot of injured players back. With this sort of halt in the season, you'll have most of or all of the injured players back. He's Mickey Mellon can actually pick a team now that he would say his best side is. So we can put them out, we can go out and start playing, get get a bit of motivation, get a bit of momentum. Last two away games, it's proven that once he has the players all together, that he feels they're the best in their positions. It just shows you what this team's capable of. You know, so let's let's hope the season carries on and we can get out of this. I mean, I think they were like 12 points, 10 points behind the team above them. Yeah. AFC Wimbledon, I think it was, or MK Dons. Next minute. There was two, three points behind. It's just amazing what he's achieved so far. You've obviously seen a fair, a fair bit of him doing the uh, the old commentary stuff for, for the iFollow for the club. 
Yeah. What have you made of the season so far? We've had a lot of loan players in. Um, a lot of play- loan players haven't been playing. They've got been sent back to the clubs. Again, the injuries didn't help. We lost our main goal scorer, 30 goals. He didn't replace that with a, a main goal scorer that's going to score goals. Very in front was battling all on his own, you know, some working hard. But we weren't creating enough chances. And I think the disappointing thing is when you watch the team at home is when they're playing with one up front against teams, they should be beaten. You know, in and around them in the table. We didn't go at them. And I thought we missed chances there to have a go with these teams that only play in the one up front. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so if um, if things do sort of get back up and running, what what do you make of the chances of uh, of staying in the league? Should uh, should football get back to normal anytime soon? Well, if if it wouldn't have been a stop start season as it has been up to now, we were on a run. Our next game is at home. Obviously, after three matches away winning, you'd expect another win. Obviously, and it doesn't matter where people are on the table, we're beating them. And these are three really tough away games. You know, we play these teams at home and give us a good game. Uh, some of them are in trouble like us, so we have to battle with them, stick to our team plan, and that's what we did. I think if we can get the next game, which is at home, and win that, I think we can get back into this routine of a winning, a winning sort of mental state, if you like. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It gives you confidence. It, it gets the team togetherness. And, you know, Mickey's done well in that respect. Have you ever sort of experienced it, like a, a long sort of absence without sort of playing and how difficult is it to kind of get back up to speed? Well, it's like, a, it's like when you finish the season and you don't have a pre-season, you're on your holidays and you come back to pre-season, it's like that all over again. I mean, lads now at the moment, they can't get out and go and run it, they? Yeah. They can't get the fitness. You can do all the gym work you like and bike work, but they're not actually... You know, ball work and one-twos and shuttles and, you know, it's going to take three, four weeks like pre-season does for you to get into your routine. But the good thing is, it's the same for everyone. Yeah. Let's just hope we can kick on from here. With an absolute full squad to pick from, which will make a hell of a difference. Yeah, good stuff. Right. So uh, let's move on to, to your illustrious career. As I, as I mentioned in the uh, the intro, a bit of a Tramia legend, obviously... Played for the club for a long time, got a great affection for it. Still mm-hmm. doing your bit for the club with the with the commentary as we as we spoke about. So yeah. How how did the move to uh, to Tranmere come about? Johnny King, um, yeah. obviously the manager at the time. Well, he was at Carnarvon, like me, I was at South Liverpool. One, I wasn't getting in the team at the time. Uh, asked me to go to Carnarvon, I just think about it because it was a bit far to travel. But there was three or four Liverpool players still going there, you know, local lads. So we all decided we'll go in the same car. I give it a go. We got the third round of the FA Cup done really well, to be fair. Um, and he told me he was going to go back into the football league. Didn't tell me at the time because it was a bit hush hush. I was leaving in the January, to be fair, to go and play in New Zealand. Now I'd been set up on a team there. I'd relatives who lived over there. And he said, don't go there. I'd say she with me to the football league. So I went, okay. That's so be honest, like, you know, get some yeah, job, I found out where he was going. Kept them up, magnificent, and then took three of us, like me, Stevie Craven, and uh, David Martin, there from Carnarvon with him. And, uh, you know, I didn't get into the team for about till the September, October that year, but managed to get in, and uh, things just went on from there. 
I happen to be in the right place at the right time, to be fair. Yeah. So, this New Zealand trip, um, you're, I, I'm assuming that you had sort of planned stuff. You didn't, you didn't kind of just, just hop on a plane and no, for the best. No. You had sort of plans in, in New yeah. Zealand, did you? Yeah, yeah well, you were lads who'd gone there to play and not seen it at the time. And you uh, said, give it a go. Um, and put in those boat lift over there and said, yeah. Come over, it's a good standard, you know. It's not full time professional, but it's like semi semi professional. Give it a go, as well. Nothing seems to be happening here. Thought me chance and opportunity gone. Well, you know, that phone call around the Christmas time of 86, 87 changed everything to get me to carve. And if I hadn't gone there with Johnny King, and he's the man who got me back into football, which I can't, you know, thank me enough for. Unfortunately, he's left us now, and um, that's what turned everything. In my favour. Yes, it's weird that you thought it could possibly have been the end of your know, yeah. football career in, in England yeah. and then suddenly yeah. um, it, it's kind of the beginning of everything, if you like. Yeah, I was only 22 at the time, you see, and um, people were like playing for England, 18, 19, then, you know what I mean? They, it was just, oh, it's gone, it's gone. But then I look back and I think to myself, hold on a minute, that like Sabine Wright playing for Arsenal, very late developer. Uh, Stuart Pearce, left back for England and not for us, a late developer. I'm more sort of um, up to date, like Sir Jamie Hardy getting into the, you know, he sort of time had gone. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you just realise that it is possible and it's happened before, so why not happen to me? Again, I got lucky. It happened, but I had to make sure I stayed where I was because it was a high standard, obviously, from what I've played at. So thanks to Johnny King for that. So obviously, Played under under Kingy for for Carnarvon and then moving to to Rovers. What was what was he like to uh, to play for? Well, we all know about his uh, mannerisms, his little quick witted sort of one line as if you like. But he made you go out and feel you know proud to play for him, proud proud to play for the team. You would play for him, you give him a hundred percent because he was that type type of gentleman, you know. And he knew his football. He'd always work on how the other team played, who you were playing against. And it set the stall out to play the same way. Well, when we got in the Football League, sweeper, as he did at Carnarvon, and everyone knew the job. And if you'd done that job, you wouldn't be far off winning a lot of games. It happened to come true. Yeah, so he had his, um, his mannerisms and his sort of, uh, his nautical phrases and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a story of, um, of you heading socks as a, yeah. as a, as a fitness test. Tell us well, a little bit about that. That's a weird one. It was in the uh, Anglo-Italian Cup. I think we were playing away at Pisa. And uh, I'd had a bit of a neck injury previous week. And uh, we travelled to Italy anyway. So I'm here going to Italy. Amazing, isn't it? Supporters were amazing there as well. So I'm there the night before, John. I don't know where I'll be played tomorrow. What is it? What's the problem? I've got a neck injury. Well, we're going to have to give you a like, fitness test. I went, OK. So the night before, he knocks on my door, he goes, I fit in the chest, I went, seven o'clock in the night. He went, come here in the hallway. And he's thrown up a pair of football socks rolled up as a ball. Head that. All right, head that. Yeah, OK, no problem. Not really OK, but you're fit to play. Here's me, like fitness test in the hallway, heading a pair of football socks, rolled up as a football, well, a tennis ball. And there's me, like fitness test, and I ended up playing, so... That's the type of fellow he was. He liked to play with a little bit of an injury, which a lot of players did then, you know. 
He wanted to play. Yeah. This injury, that injury, you left out. Stay in the team, we were on a winning runs and great cup runs. So everyone was fighting for the place and that's what made us hungry and motivated, which is all down to him. Yeah. Was he... You obviously speak to it, speak of it about him with such great affection. He was obviously someone you you wanted to play for, and obviously if you had a a little yeah. niggle, but you thought you could you could get through, you wanted to keep your place in the team because he was someone who kind of didn't want to tinker too much with a you know of a winning formula. You, you'd have to fight to get your place back if you if you missed out. Wasn't That's right. I mean, he, he was he didn't bring a lot of players in, but there was always players from the academy coming up. And we needed quality players. This is what Warwick Rim had done over many, many years. And we always knew there was someone pushing you. Lads on the bench were pushing you. They wanted to fight for your place. We were on a winning runs and winning league games, cup games. So everyone wanted, when you're winning, everyone wants to play. And the confidence was building the players in the team and out of the team. So once you went out of the team through suspension, which I did a lot, by the way, and... <laughs> um, you know, Bryce Sean Garlic, John McGreal, all got the chances and took it well and always played well whenever he filled in. And, you know, Johnny Team kept them on the toes. He, he was always making sure they were part of the team and training. And that's important. If you leave fellas out and they won't want to play for you as much, you know. Mm. If you keep them uh, socialising with the team, um, playing, uh, training with the team, travelling to the likes of this Italy, going to your Wembley appearances, make them feel part of it. You will give him as much as he gives you back. And that's where the, it all happens, you see. That's where everyone was together. And that's very important. Yeah, and he wasn't afraid to, 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 to swing in the, the youngsters, was he? He was very, very no. keen to give opportunities to the to the players that were coming through. And as you, as you said, like, there was some really good talent coming through the, through the system. That was amazing. I mean, if you go upstairs in the lounges... And they have a look on the board, the amount of players, it must be 45 players Warwick Rim has brought through. And he must have sold about 40 of them for good money, you know. And Johnny King wouldn't be scared to go and spend money like, you know, we bought Aldridge, Pat Nevin, Gary Stevens, Neil McNair. He wouldn't be scared to go. He knew where the positions needed to be filled. And on the other occasion, bring a youngster in. So while you're winning games and bringing youngsters in, they're getting confidence. What's difficult to do is when you bring a youngster in and you're not winning games, that's when the confidence isn't as high and you don't progress the way you do, the way you should do. But they were progressing every time. Scouts were coming to look at them and then picking them off us because the idea was to go as far as you can in football and good luck to them, they've done well. Played well for the team, well for Johnny King. Again, he made them feel part of the team. First of all, he picked the youngsters in to the full squad training make them feel part of it, make them feel welcome. Then he put them on the bench and then throw them in. And then he'd done this time after time. And the timing was great, the way he used to do it. And it worked so well. Yeah. Speaking of the kind of togetherness and you know everybody uh, you know pulling in the same direction, must have been a great team spirit throughout that, that sort of 10 years that uh, he was at the club. When you look at teams that have come through all the football leagues, the Wimbledons, you know, the Bournemouth, who are now in the Premier that togetherness gets you so far. It really does. You've got to have ability and a good type of squad and goal scorers and good goalkeepers. You've got to have all that. But one of the main ingredients of having a really good team who don't stand still, keep improving every year is togetherness, socialising. We used to go upstairs in the lounges after games 
everybody went upstairs, win, lose, or draw, we were always there, talk to the supporters in the gold lounge, the platinum lounge, everyone knew everyone's family, and that was the togetherness of Johnny King sort of grew, and it, it, it moulded into a winning team, socialising together, and made everyone feel welcome. So it wasn't just a team on the pitch, it was kind of off no. the pitch, as, as, as importantly, we all know about the, the kind of the holidays you went on after the, the, you know, at the end of the season and stuff like that, so it's it's building that spirit that, as you say, sort of gets the, the best out of the uh, best out of people. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, the holidays are superb, Magaluf, Magaluf every year, you know, we, we'd go away, we'd basically drink, have, have, have a sort of, you know, a bit of a Life service session, the life a bit of all work, something similar as that. But you know, it was a main holiday to thank everyone for what they did, paid for by the club. And again, everyone went on the holidays, you know, the togetherness. When we come back to pre season saying everyone was up for it. He'd added a couple to the squad. Here's a new lad here, you know, from a team who I mean, some players who were like in the thirties, but they've been at such a high level. When they come to us in the division we were you could only improve us. You have the right to go in the circle. You know, McNabb. You remember uh, Mark Proctor from Middlesbrough? Mm-hmm. You know, always, always improving the team. And it was good that he had a good scouting system as well. Yeah, so, as you say, sort of the, the progression, or we'll kind of talk a bit a bit about sort of the promotions and, uh, and everything in a little yeah. bit. But um, always just didn't massively sort of tinker with the squad season by season. It was just adding those those one or two extra ingredients to the to the cake mix as he always used to kind of analyze. It's a cake mix <laughs> ingredients, that's right, yeah, one of the sayings, yeah. yeah. And just kind of improve season on season and, and we'll we'll obviously speak about how you moved up the divisions. But that was that was important to kind of keep the, the core of the squad as together as yeah. possible and just add those little bits of additional quality. Was years ago you didn't get loan players. If you did, it was one every other six months. Nowadays it's all about loan players everywhere. I think it's because of the transfer embargo. Is it? You know, you can only do certain transfer deals. The windows, you know, because now, I mean, you're off the back of our program now. We must have 45 players in the squad. Loan players every other month, every other week. Every team's doing it. That's where we didn't do it. And a lot of teams didn't say you had a settled team, a settled squad, and players he'd signed up for two to three years. So they knew where they were. They knew what team they played for. They knew what they wanted to do with the club. He was settled. He lived not far away. The family was settled. He was socialising together. It was just a very, very good ingredient. And it all together by Johnny King. Players wanted to play for him. Wanted to play for the club. And it Work ever so well. Yeah. So um, you join you join Tramir. Obviously, having been you know playing a bit of non-league football, mm-hmm. and obviously you had a bit of success at Carnarvon. You say uh, reaching the, the third round of the FA Cup and stuff. But yeah. after joining Rovers, did you ever imagine that sort of six or seven months later you'd be uh, you'd be playing on the hallowed turf at Wembley? Absolutely not. I've left with us. I've only signed a one-year contract with them at the time. Let's see how it goes. Got in the team again in September. Next minute, winning the Mercantile Tessers at Wembley, playing there, I think, three times over the weekend. Support was absolutely amazing. Playing at Wembley, you only see it on the TV. Walking up them steps, you know, everything that happened from that year uh, was just 
just mind-boggling to tell you. But you have a team together. And like you say, you have fellas who were brought in, signed two, three-year contracts, who played at a higher level when they were younger. So we had quality, okay. And now the next thing was, can this team take it further? And we were playing at one, we've been in quite a few games, to be fair. And only got knocked out by Moss Forest on penalties. So we've done really well. Yeah, so you, play, you played some, some, as you say, some big teams. Newcastle, uh, Wimbledon, who were... Good in the FA Cup final. That's true. Uh, a few months, a couple of months later. Um, yeah. And in Nottingham Forest, they were you know, one of the big hitters, Brian Clough, and yeah. you mentioned like Stuart Pearce and, and players like that. Yeah, uh, Nigel Clough, yeah. Nigel Clough. That's right, yeah. So it must have been a, an amazing experience, and even better to, to kind of get a couple of wins against those types of teams as well. Well, the first time uh, team we played, like you said, was Wimbledon. They were in the FA Cup final the next month. They all played the team, you know, Willie Jones, Eddie Young, the centre-half, Ashley, Ryan, they all played. We won 1-0, Bobby Martin, Dale Goal. And then, we had, to be honest, we had nothing to lose, you know. We were in a win-win situation. Here's his little old family, fourth division, playing at Wembley against Wimbledon, 1-0. Oh, we are. We're on a bit of a run here. I think the next game is Newcastle. I think that was 2-0, 2-1. Forrest, Liverpool got knocked out. We ended up taking their rooms because we thought we were going home. We ended up taking their rooms in the hotel. They got knocked out early. I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's like an absolute dream come true. Forrest, we all lucky to get knocked out on sudden death penalties. But yeah. what an experience it was to give you confidence to go on in the league and finally get promotion. You know, that was our end goal, to be honest, at the start of the season. Everything else was a bonus, but we took our chance and we made it. Yeah. Let, let's, let's talk a little bit about that story about um, the hotel. So, obviously, Tramia had um, booked, booked rooms for for the night before. Yeah. But they weren't expecting to stay. It was over two days, mm-hmm. wasn't it, this, this festival yeah. of football? it was. And uh, you didn't expect to be in the second day, so uh, so um, Liverpool got knocked out, and you ended up taking uh, hotel rooms for the year uh, for the yeah. second night. Well, it would have been interesting to see if Liverpool didn't get didn't get knocked out. Where would we go on the stay? Would we have to travel home, come on back on the bus even? Yeah, <laughs> what do you do? Get your sense out. But uh, we were lucky. We were lucky. We managed to do it, and uh, you know the club were it quite well, to be honest. On a couple of occasions when we, uh, the dressing rooms were full at Wembley because there was that many teams there, obviously. We had to get changed in the Wembley arena, and there were the group players and pop groups and that. Yeah. So we were getting changed and uh, they were playing on stage. But there was no room. As I, as I don't think they'd uh, organised it very well, the football league, but we managed to get changed there, walk across to Wembley, play the games and go back and get changed. We just kept winning for some reason, and um, that's that's what we had to do. But you know, we were in a team that we didn't let things like that affect us. We, we were strong-minded, strong-willed, fighting for each other, and that just took us on in good stead. And you think those uh, those victories, obviously against you know top-flight teams, albeit yeah. in a you know a tournament that you know was. I guess a, I guess a friendly tournament to to recognise the centenary of the football league, but nevertheless, yeah. you were playing mm. these top players, and that gave you the confidence to kind of build on, and obviously you get promoted the the season after. 
Well, it just shows that you're playing against uh, quality players. What you can achieve is you're willing to put your mindset to it. So why can't we achieve that in our league against players with less qualities? And that's what sort of made us improve in the league year after year. Knowing what type of quality and how good players above us were, what we have to try and do and say them fitness-wise, mental-wise, to achieve what they had. So that's what helped us get out of the football leagues when we were on them. Was that ever spoke about in the dressing room or by, by the managers? Sort of, you've done it against you know top-flight teams, why can't you do it against the likes of, no disrespect, Scarborough and crew and mm. things like that? Yeah, it's a bit more cup runs. Why do these um, sort of teams from lower divisions get to cup finals? It's a one-off, one-off knockout. Yeah. You're up for it for that one game. I mean, ours is three games at Wembley and now, but you're up for it every time, aren't you? Yeah. So why can't your attitude and mental approach towards new games be the same? And it did help us. What you can achieve against better quality players obviously fills you with confidence and that's what fills us with confidence. So just further. Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to talk about the... Um final game of the 89 season when we got oh, yeah. promoted against Crewe. Yeah. I mean, this uh, I think it was probably the third or fourth time that I've been to Clinton Park. It was mm-hmm. a little lad. But, you know, it's packed stadium. It was a gorgeous sunny day as well, as I remember. Oh, it was. I think uh, one, one it was, wasn't it? 15,000 in there. What, what do you remember about that? Obviously, uh, well, obviously, at the end. Well, obviously, you're nervous before the game because you need a point at least to uh, get promoted. They they did as well, exactly, exactly. So (laughs) very well. Um, If you look at the game, I think they scored first, didn't they? And uh, the game we equalised. Was it a penalty that they scored on us? Well, I can't remember. It was 1-1, yeah. that far back, yeah. yeah. So you're concentrating on the game so much. I mean, you could back past the goalkeepers there. All the rules have changed since yeah. then. So, obviously, near the end, all, all the defenders keep going. We're running back towards Eric Nixon to get a show back pass. Don't keep it in play. Keep it over the ball as long as you can because we just needed that point. And it was so nervous near the end. It was unbelievable. Look at the support. Of, of 15,000 in that time. When you were going out of the league the previous year, it was just amazing. Running on the pitch, you know, we went up into the stands to show them our applause for them for coming to support us. And, you know, that's where it took off from. Yeah, and a few beers and uh, a few drinks afterwards, uh, no doubt. Well, obviously upstairs in the lounges where everyone goes, again, whether we would have lost or drawn, it wouldn't have mattered. We would have been up there. But when you've got supporters up there, you realise how much it means to them, you know, and then everyone sort of asking you questions, what about this? And then, you look at the teams you're playing against the next year. Teams you've been like, relegated from two divisions above you, but you're about to go and play. Stadiums you've never played that. Teams you've been in the old first division, now the premiership, it, it just took off for me, it was just amazing. So, you win promotion, and then uh, the following season, it's uh, fairly successful, reach the playoffs. Reached the yeah. Leyland Bath final. Yeah. And uh, the end of end of the season, you uh, you pick up a, a suspension and miss those those big Wembley trips. So tell us a little is. bit about how you were kind of feeling, and, and uh, obviously the must have been so disappointed. Yeah, I was very disappointed because the matches meant so much, and when you're playing in a team and playing all the time, 
Guys, here is near the end of the season. You need a run for the league or a cup final. That's what you're looking forward to. But it just happens that I've played at Wembley three times the previous year in the mercantile credits. So I wasn't missing out and going, will this be my last ever chance of playing at Wembley? It hadn't been that case, so I was okay about that. But I felt, you know, I deserved to play because I'd achieved so much with the same team, good squad, getting to where we had, and all of a sudden, I'd, I'd done whatever I'd done to get sort of a suspension. Sean got to come in and played really well. Won the Leyland back for us against Bristol Rovers, which is great. Yeah. Do you, do you ever feel like maybe you um it was a case of maybe letting the letting the team down to to a degree. Obviously we we didn't win that, that playoff final to get promotion and Well the lads who those things that go through your mind, like what if, what if? Well the only what if is I I should have knocked off beat the previous game or sent yeah. off when we were at home on Friday night and I think that's got me the suspension. I've let the team down, I've let myself down. You know, and whoever come in, I think it was Steve Mungall or Sean Garnett, they, they've had as much ability and quality as me, so they didn't let the team down. It's just that Ross County at the time on that day with the better team. Yeah. And then yeah. I remember Neil Warnock was the manager, yeah, so they had a real strong team. So would it have been different with me? I don't know. But uh, he achieved, you know, eight something, which at the end of the season is something you look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you make up for it the following year because uh, we do exactly the same again. Another good season. Yeah. Reach the, the two finals again, but we do it the other way around. So we, uh, we lose the well, narrow defeat to Birmingham, wasn't it? On the uh, yeah. and Bath. But yeah. let's talk about um, the Bolton game in the in the playoff yeah. final. Baking yeah. hot, baking hot day. Yeah. What 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 are your memories of the, of that yeah. season? Very, very nervous. I remember the week before we played Birmingham City and uh, the week later, Steve Vickers I played against. Um, I was his partner. I think he left Stevie Vickers out for the week after and brought Sean Garnett in against Bolton. Um, so it was a different um, centre-half part, uh, partnership. I played with Sean before, which is fine. Tough game. They finished the bubbles in the league, so they must have thought we should have been promoted. But it was no no baking off day, people getting tired, cramp, running to extra time. I thought one goal's gonna settle this. And it was so tight the game. Lucky for us. Started from one of their corners, by the way, to see Malcolm finished it and what a finish it was. And uh, and you played your your part in uh, in setting up the, the move that led to the goal? I believe so, yeah. I uh, had the ball left side of the touch line, passed it right along the the touchline for Jed Brannan, he flicked it on, and then they both went on, Chrissy and Jed. Chrissy picking up the rebound from the goalkeeper, slotted it really well. What a finish. And what a time to go up them steps. This, again, something you'd seen on the TV, you never think you're going to achieve it. And where we were going into the, which is now the championship. Yeah, so, you know, going up, going up the steps, as you say, you've seen cup finals and and all the rest of it through, through the years, and it, it's your turn to, to climb those steps. And it was it was a first time for yourself. Yes, it was. Yeah, you've done it in the in the yeah. and Bath. So you must have been sort of so so proud of that at that particular um, that particular moment with all the fans there and everything as well. Well, the, the supporters played a major part, and that's with the thousands of them. 
Uh, don't ask me what the gate was, but it seemed to be all Sammy Rovers were in. Um, they kept singing, supporting us, backing us, you know, and I just, it kept us going, really. Like you said, the sun was baking us. The ball was moving about, pitch was big. You know, everything was sort of set. One goal was going to settle that. I always had in my mind as, as it got nearer and nearer. If they would have scored first, they could have possibly, well, probably won it. So it was just as lucky for us because he, was, you know, finished the ball well. And uh, the support there was amazing. Who, who thought the week before, after such a, a you know, a defeat, and everyone must have felt down? Again, that's the type of team we were. We were mentally strong. We knew we had something to do. Go and do the job. Johnny King set us all out, ready for it. And two win, which was great. You mentioned the uh, the big pitch at, at Wembley. Yeah. And I believe that it's a bit of a myth that the, the actual the, the dimensions of the pitch are actually bigger. But I guess yeah. with the vast nature of the of the stadium, it just it it sort of mentally it affects you and sort of it looks much yeah. bigger because the you know you're used to playing it. Obviously, smaller grounds, Prenton Park for being one, but you've got this 90,000, 100,000 stadium, it just makes it feel that much bigger. Well, when you're seeing uh, cup finals, when you're, when you're a youngster growing up and you look at teams, and then the commentators say, no, he's getting camped, they're getting camped, the rolls the socks down, this pitch is playing its part, sapping your energy. And I think it's a mental thing, like you said. But the stand has go so high up and it's so big. And you used to have the track around it, did it not? Yeah, yeah. So that made, it yeah that made it look even bigger. So we have to mentally be strong. And we did actually measure the pitch out and it wasn't that much bigger than a lot of pitches we played on. So take that away and, you know, it's out of your mind. So I think we might have had a little bit of a sort of headstrong sort of Gaining over Bolton because we realised it wasn't the actual pitch, it's the stands and the supports that made it look massive. Yeah. But when you're there, you're concentrating so much, hopefully you don't get tired and just keep playing to the end now, which happens to be the end of extra time. So 120 minutes plus obviously the stoppages and stuff in the baking heat. Yeah. It was the 1st of June, I think. It was, it was a quite yeah. late finish. Yeah. You must have been absolutely exhausted by the end of it and we were, but you know what? Because we'd gone so far and we played the week before there, we knew we had to give it our one last game of the season to make us go up what we tried to achieve all year. And Johnny King put a team out, explained to us what they were about. We knew we were up for a fight because they were a good team, had some real good players. But you know what? When we play together on our strong-minded and we're motivated by the manager, we could achieve anything. Like we've proven in the mercantile credits against better quality teams, it stood us in good stead against Bolton. And you mentioned as well about the the, the little tactical switches that, that Kingy made that you know to, to to go up against that particular team he thought that, you know, other yeah. players would be best suited to, to get the result and yeah. the the tactical mastermind if you like. You you, you don't see that all that often do you in football just Jimmy Harvey's captain yeah yeah your team have done so well but he thought that you know X player in this in this instance I think was Garner wasn't it it was sure Garner but I think David Martindale started that game and Jimmy Harvey was the captain that was on the bench and then sort of I think halfway through the second half he brought Jimmy Harvey on 
for a player to bring on such a high intensity, so much to play for a game. So we had good players over on the bench, you know, and he switched it a little bit. Darlow coming in, because Dixie had an iffy game the week before against Birmingham, you know, and that's what he felt. We needed a strong sense of half. Really good in the air, Sean, against the big lad up front. I think it was Sullivan. Uh, I think he was a black lad. He played for Bolton, I think. Mm. So, you know, that Sean had a real good game. And it proven by the results, obviously. And was there a little bit of, um, obviously, the missed out on the past the year before? Was there a little bit of sort of a vengeance that you wanted to, you know, put things right and make yeah. that make that next step into the into the obviously the, what is now the championship? Well, that was spoken to in the, in the changing room. Come on, lads, let's not let it be two in a row where we miss out on two years of promotion. You know, we were in the final, we played it well, we knew what the pitch was about. We knew what they were about. They were a good team. We played them twice in the league, obviously. Um, we knew what it was about. It was up to us then. Nothing else we could have done. We were on the pitch. Let's go out, give it a good go, put the eyes a week before, and let's go for it. Yeah, fantastic. And then um, another topic that I'd like to, to talk about with you is um, the Anglo-Italian Cup. So, yeah. for sort of the, the younger supporters who might be listening to this, Rovers were involved in a, a cup competition against Italian counterparts from, uh, I think it was Serie B. That's right. Um, and uh, you get to go to some... Uh, Amazing places, some beautiful places, and uh, and put your put your wits against some of the some star names uh, from Italian football. What was what was that experience like? Well, so they they had a totally different way of playing to us, didn't they? They should throw themselves about very niggly, um, but you know what? They were well disciplined and sorted, well sorted, brought up by the way they asked, the food, the way they changed. We, we got a taste of that when we went over there. We were training up in the mountains in, in one, at one stage. It was like photos of all teams that had trained there, you know, from the Premier and Rangers and Leicester and all, all different types of teams that played there. It was out the way, high in the mountains. And all you got was water and pasta. Oh, my God. Diet, that's all. Diet and the way they trained and it took it away from everything and just been football, football. My word, it was an eye-opener for us. There wasn't much variety on those trips then in terms of your food. Well, when we were on the plane, we could have a drink and I'd be by the nuts, but everything else, when we got there, they let you know you were in a team. I mean, stadiums were amazing, and they had some real good players, and when you look back, they went on to better things, obviously. Yeah, so we're talking about the likes of uh, Christian Vieri, who went on to play for Italy. Yeah. Uh, Oliver Bierhoff, they're just sort of two of the star names. Yeah, but we play that thing to score the winning goal in the European Championships. That's right. That's right. Later. So yeah, you're playing against some uh, some some big teams in, as you say, in some big stadiums, and uh, must have been a, a bit of an eye opener as much as anything. Yeah, well, you know, the supporters again travelled over. It was tremendous. It old Samir again going to Italy to play against players like that and stadiums and. You know, taking everything in, it was just a bizarre journey that we were on. How, how it turned around so quickly, and next week you're playing Italy. You know, they, these players were good quality players, went on to play for the likes of the national team, Italy, which, you know, you didn't know at the time, but when you were on the pitch, you knew how good they were. Yeah, and then 
some beautiful places you would have visited as well. Did you get a, a chance to uh, to do any sort of sightseeing, or was it just sort of focus on the football? Well, we went went for the Lane and Tyrapies and things like that. You know, we took us out for a few walks. So we've had times, and I think one of the games you know, we got records off at one stage due to the rain. It rained for like two, three days, but we managed to get out a bit, and the game got played eventually. But uh, there must have been some beatings and sending off in games. I remember one of the games at home, and this fella was kicking Neil McNabb everywhere. Oh, my God, it was unbelievable. He turned down Neil McNabb, you know, the size of the like five mm-hmm. foot five, and just punched him. He just looked at the referee and went, I'm going off. Because the referee was ready to get his red card. I was, you know, he was right behind him with the red card. He knew he was getting it. But he took that much stick off this fella throwing tackles in. He just punched him and had enough. That's the type of player they were, very niggly, very disciplined. You know what you were about with time wasters, but, you know, that takes them on. That's the way they play. That's what we have to get used to. And um, it was a real eye-opener for us. We, we learned a hell of a lot from the likes of teams like this. And we had one of the players who, who promised Ivano Bonetti, who come to us from Grimsby. Yeah. He was a quality player, real good touch, good forward. It just shows you the type of quality, and that's the player who sort of played for good teams in Italy, you know, and that's he what he was about. Oh, God, he was, yeah. That's where he was at, you know, for sure. Did, did you uh, ever think about sort of learning a little bit of the uh, Italian language while you were out there, or...? Well, not really, there was, there was some Italian refs, weren't there, as well? There was, but... Did they all speak you know, English, or...? Yeah, they were good at English, yeah. All they needed to know is uh, a boot and, and you're getting sent off. <laughs> That's all they needed to know. So it wasn't worth us learning any English, was it? But um, it was interesting, very interesting. A good a good sort of um, helped us in our football league because they, they played with discipline and that learned us a lot. The, the way the effort, the tires, it learned us all a lot. And there was a lot of youngsters in our team, and it sure it's helped them. Staying football as long as he did. Yeah. So uh, let's move on from uh, the Anglo Italian. There's something that, uh, another sort of interesting topic for discussion is the uh, the Coca Cola Cup run in '94. Right, yeah. Where you're beating some fantastic teams to get as far as. And then Little Old Chamber end up in the, the semi finals of. Uh, of the League Cup, you know, major cup competition at the time. It was, how, how were you feeling, sort of getting as far as as you did, and sort of so close to so close to Wembley as well for the you know big yeah, cup we, final. We won three one at home, and uh, I think they got a very very late goal at the end. It was three 0 and then uh, Daly and Atkinson scored yeah. to make it three one. Unfortunately, he's passed Never away think, now. Yeah. No, absolutely not. No. Um, but um, we ran away. Nervous again. Nerves. Crowd. Our supporters were absolutely amazing. Full ground. Semi-final. Aston Villa. They had some really good international players. It ended up 3-1 again. Goals to extra time. Went on the penalties. Right, who wants to take the penalties? And a lot of them didn't. In our team want to take pens. I thought, yeah, I'll have one. Ended up taking the penalty against Mark Bosnich. Again, these things, you look back at it, you just think, we're in such a good cup run, we beat some really good premiership on first division teams then. And um, you get to the semi-final, it's the worst time to get knocked out of a cup semis. I'd rather get beat in the final, at least you got there. 
But if they went on to win it and beat Man United 3-0 in the final. Yeah. But let's talk about the, the, the... Well, Matt Bosnett shouldn't have been on the pitch anyway, but that's another story. But, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, he shouldn't have been. Yeah, the rules are the rules, aren't they? Yeah, bring it down all day for the, for the penalty. But anyway... Our choice. Not that we're bitter still, 26 years on, but anyway. Yeah. Um, you step up to, to take one of the penalties... And yeah. I think, uh, if memory serves me right, um, you literally just step up, put it in the back of the net and walk back to the halfway line. No emotion in your face whatsoever. Well, do you know the Job most done. nervous part? Yeah, job done. The most nervous part about that for me was walking from the halfway line to go to the, take the penalty. Yeah. That is the most nervous part around it. I knew Mark Bosnus did not know where I was going to put that pen. And I'll yeah. tell you why. I didn't know where he was going to put it. <laughs> so if I didn't know, I was he. And my mindset was just hit the target. That's all, I, that's, that's all I wanted to do with the target. Hit the target. He didn't get it. That'll do me. Thank God that was over with. But, you know, I didn't miss. Yeah. You ever taken penalties before? I have uh, against Newcastle. Uh, I think it was in the 6 all game. In okay, the yeah, yeah. Zenith Data, I yeah, think. Yeah. And I think the fellow who was in goal then, um, he, he died as well. Hetzenek, is he? Oh, uh, Pavel Sernicek. That's him, yeah. yeah. He saved the penalty. Again, he hit the target, but he saved it. Oh, but we did win on penalties. Yeah. We managed to win that one on penalties, yeah. So it wasn't an alien experience. You had sort of experiences stepping up for him. Yeah, there, yeah, was, yeah. Was there any... any any sort of doubt in your mind that you didn't want to take one? No, I wanted to take one. I absolutely wanted to take Why not go out and do it for yourself and the team? Well, why be scared? I mean, they all have it. You get lads in the name, so they're not confident. But I felt you had the confidence in 12 yards. If you hit the target and he makes a great thing, there's nothing you can do. Just hit the target, keep it in, in play of your life, and make sure... Well, it's as hard as you can. I managed to do that. Just unfortunately, I think Liam O'Brien and Liam Nolan missed the uh, yeah. one each. Yeah, yeah. Pretty that. You'd, you'd think of all the players to, to miss one. Liam O'Brien's such a technical well, like, yeah. quality on the ball. Absolutely. Quality on I would have thought he would have scored, yeah. Yeah, set pieces as well. I think he did the crossbar in the last minute as well, didn't he? That's right, he did, yeah. He did, he did. So, from 12 yards, you would have put your money on Liam to score. Yeah, but sort of agonising. There must have been so so much disappointment at getting so so far and so close and and just coming out. Well, because we'd won an old 3-1, I thought, if we can get a goal here, which we did at the time, the penalty, I think they were tuning a little head by then, but I thought, "We'll, we'll do this, we'll do it. But as the game went on and on, out of the blue, they, you know, they managed to get a third, but then we had extra time, which we managed to keep a clean sheet on, so we don't well doing that. You know, you're away at Aston Villa, they are a top uh, premiership team. We've done our job, I felt, but just that little bit further on, you know, we had a penalty to go through. It was in line with penalties, 1v1, mm. out of the five pens. If we would have scored a certain one, we would have went through, and mm. we missed it. Yeah, if Liam had scored, that would have been... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, we were so close. But, um, having sort of started this conversation here at Carnarvon in, you know, the, the mid to late 80s, 
Yes. Playing non-league, sort of. You've been at South Liverpool as well, sort of. Yeah. From going from there to, you know, almost reaching a major cup final, it's quite a, quite a journey. That's a great journey, but you know, the, the most thing I remember about things is we had three goals knocking on the Premiership door. Year after year after year, and each team we played against, who knocked us out the playoffs, each individual team managed to get to the Premiership. Swindon, Reading, and Leicester. And I, I felt that knocked us back more because Sammy to get in the Premiership would have been the ultimate. You know what I mean? Cup wounds you can go on and you can manage to knock out teams in one off games, but the likes of winning the league or getting into the playoffs is an all year round thing, and it just shows you how much togetherness. Because of the team, the motivation, the manager, all on the same page. We got to the playoff every year for three years and just managed not to get into the Premiership. Yeah, it must have been. It must have been sort of quite well. You must have. Uh, so sort of looking back at it now, you must feel so so proud that you, you were part of that squad that that got so far. But I guess at the time, it's. Just massive disappointment that you didn't quite make that that last last little step, and as you say, for a club like Tranmere to be in the top flight of English football would have been yeah. would have been incredible. Yeah, when we got knocked out the playoffs the first year, everyone thought, "Well, they're not going to do it next year." It just showed it out the mindset of the team. You do it the second year, then we get knocked out of that, and you think they're not going to make the third time playoffs. We do it for years in a row. It just shows it again. A little bit of tinkering by Johnny King, a couple of academy players coming through. He kept the turn over goal all the time. That's that's why we were so hard to beat. You know, the year after year, team up for it, mindset was right, strong willed, all playing for each other. It made a hell of a difference and that's why we kept going and going. But missing out, that was the most disappointing thing for me. And it must have been for the supporters. Yeah. Been miss, missing out, as you say, it was three years in a row. Mm. So the previous ones kind of keep you keep you motivated to 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 want to go and do it again as as much as anything. Well, that's right. You know, if you miss out once, you can't you can't keep looking back and going, "Oh, we're not going to do it this year." You've got to just keep going forward and moving because other teams are just catching up, and all the teams you don't keep moving forward, and you've got to be up for things. You've got to be. Your own mindset, your own fitness, you've got to look after yourself, you've got to keep going, you've got to want to stay in the team. And that's why you keep playing out the team, because you're doing well. Obviously, if you're not playing well in the team, Johnny King would have left it out. He had no sort of uh, emotions about that. If you're not playing well, you're out. He had other lads, good quality, wanting to learn and get in the team and go on to better things. And that's what we were about all the time, improving and improving. I guess once you've sort of knocked at the door three times, it's a bit, a bit disheartening, and you think that maybe it's it's not going to come. But you obviously had a, an inner belief with it amongst the the squad that you were good enough to to be in those you know those last last knockings in, in the in the league. Yeah, I wanted to think about it. The quality players are playing against who did go on to play in the Premiership, by the way. Yeah. And you know, you think if we can match them. And we're doing well in the league, but why can't we do it year after year? It's all about consistency at the end of the day. Doing the right things at the right time and keeping the simple things and doing them and making them look easy. And you will go far in football like we did, but just didn't manage to get over the line for the Premiership. 
And then I think the, the following season didn't sort of ninety five, ninety six didn't quite go as as well. I suppose expectations have gone from you know fighting to stay in the football league itself. Yeah. To, you know, to being so close to the to the Premier League. Yeah. Um, and obviously Johnny King sort of leaves the club or sort of loses his job as, as manager and John Aldridge takes over and what what's the what's the mood in the camp like when you obviously lost a you know, a massive leader, someone you've held yeah. in the greatest respect for so long. Yeah. He's sort of moved aside and, and John Aldridge takes down. What's the kind of mood amongst the amongst the players? Well, football doesn't stand still for anyone, does it? I mean, he'd done his job, he was really motivated, he did it so much, and then all of a sudden he gets sacked. So we're all wondering, who's the next manager? We're all talking about it. Oh, I've heard this, I've heard him. So we go to training the next day, and we're all in our kit. No one noticed that Aldo was missing. Because we're all upstairs in the chairman's room, you know, in the uh, lounges. And uh, Frank Corf comes in and goes, right, Lads, your next manager, we've got him here today. And we're thinking, who's going to come out of that room? Aldo comes out with his training kit. He goes, oh my God. So what he did, we didn't know. He obviously he'd been asked, but he has to keep it quiet. So he gets us all individually, one by one, in to come and see him to talk about the sports, what he thinks of him as a player, and how he's willing to take the club forward. And that's how it started. What what kind of a manager was he was he like to work for then? Well, he was a good manager. He had good new ideas. He had uh, the diet thing, the weight coaches, water, pasta, you know, bananas, fruits. I mean, his time in Spain had, had sort of uh, helped him in that way. We used to go on two day, two training sessions a day. So that that's where it changed, and then the formation. So they're the three main things to change: the diet, um, the, the training and also the formation. So they're the three things that he had and told us what he wanted to do. So what, as, as players, did you find it was a you know a big change, sort of adapting to, to these new sort of methods that you wanted to bring in? Well, when you're used to playing with a sweeper and any mistakes you make, you've got someone to sweep up behind it all of a sudden in the back four. And then the back four, you've got to get used to your partnership. Whoever he thinks comes in, he had new ideas for players as well. He, new players out so you wouldn't have your normal left back or right back with you so you're getting used to new players formation 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one. you'd have one fella in midfield in front of the back four you'd have another four across so we'd play himself up front and have two really high support midfielders who were like scored a few goals for us uh, Ainsley and I think it was and Jeb Brannan but whoever it was they were in support of Aldo and that's how he wanted to play and in terms of that, sort of, the, how, how adaptable are footballers in terms of sort of the different formations? Does that make a, a big difference to you, or is that just, you know, it's eleven v eleven? You've got, you know, you've got eleven players on the pitch. It doesn't really matter whereabouts you, you've been asked to asked to play. You just kind of get on with it, or is it a bit of a, a, a mental thing, and you kind of find it a bit more. Difficult to adapt to. Well, obviously, you've had so much success and so much yeah. um, with with one given formation. Was it a, something you had to learn to kind of play in that sort of system? 
Well, playing as a back four, you're a defender. The idea is just to defend. So you can get used to that, playing your offsides, etc. Building up a partnership and saying, well, it's the midfielders that's different because you should have a couple of midfielders who just like to pass the ball and stay in defensive mode, whereas he wants to get them forward. He wants fellas in the box. So that would have made a hell of a difference for them. So they were actually a hell of a lot more running. And if you're like a, a Neil McNabb or a Liam O'Brien, you, that's not your game. Getting in goal-scoring positions, always supporting the forwards, the two sorts of the right midfielder and left midfielder, getting balls in, getting crosses in, that mightn't be their force. They, they might like to just defensive mode, helping your fullbacks out. So that must have been a hell of a lot harder for them to do. And that's why he had to change certain players because he knew that they would not fit into the team. So you've got to get used to a certain amount. And then it's how you approach it and how many chances you create, how you defend as a team, obviously. So there is a little bit of tactical awareness you've got to be aware of. And he comes across as a very motivating individual, does all though. Yeah, but... I've seen him on, yeah. the, on the touchline, so was it the, is what talk is a little bit about his, his man management style. Well, he was more sort of... Um, I wouldn't say angry with you, but highly motivated and letting you knew when you weren't doing things right, as you could see on the touchline. He'd come and address you, and if you weren't doing it, he'd let you know. I think he was more mildly sort of laid back, but let you know in his own ways, you know. But although was, he played at such a high level, you see, he wanted success. And it's shown by the way he played and how many goals he scored. So that's how he was as a manager. So he, he came in and said, Really high standards for you. He set he set high standards. This is how we wanted to train again. Twice twice a day, you'd say. You know, fitness levels were a bit higher. Um, the diet way. Look after yourself. Look after your bodies. It'll make you better players, improvers, and that's what he's always trying to do: improve players. So did Did you enjoy playing under him, or? I did. I found it a different way of playing. Uh, I played in the back, back four before. Well, he was playing, bringing players in then who were sort of challenging me, you see. So I had to make sure I was playing good enough to stay in the team. But it didn't work out that way. Once you, a manager brings his own players in, he wants to play them. Which I accept, you know what I mean? He's brought them in, he thinks they're better players, and he gives them a chance. So obviously, you're, you're not playing as many games. When you're used to playing and training all, every week for years and years, it, it, that's what sets you back a bit. Doesn't matter how hard you train or how well you play, managers have their own thoughts in their own minds, as I would if I managed. And he had his ideas, and they were his ideas to bring new players in and leave it out. So that's the way it was. Yeah. Did Did you see a, a massive change in him as a person? Because obviously he's he's gone from being one of the lads and just a, you know another a, another teammate. So obviously having to change the way he is around you and, and be the manager. Do you see a massive change in, in well, him? If you, ask, if you ask any player who becomes a player manager, they've got to take a big step back. Not getting involved in the chit-chat in the dressing room and out-socialising. You know, that's the way it's got to be. And for them to take the manager's job, player manager's job, he has to step right back and not get involved in little things like you know, talking about certain players, talking about wages. He had to take that. You, you'd find any player manager that had to do that. That was that must have been the biggest thing about being a player manager. 
getting out the player mode and having your own thoughts and ideas about the way you want to play. Because, you, you know, if he was just a player, you don't have a moan to him, wouldn't you? You'd tell him things about certain plays you didn't like and the way he played. Well, you couldn't do that anymore. You have to take a step aside. That's the biggest thing, sort of involvement in player manager that I'd find. And we're obviously talking about Aldridge at the minute. Let's look at some of the uh, the top players you played with. We'll see Aldo, Ian Muir, mentioned Liam O'Brien and players like that. Who, who's, the, who's the best player you played with, do you think, during your, your time at Raiders? Well, the players we had, the international players, you had Aldridge, the best goal scorer you've seen at Tomia. He, he could finish him anywhere. Really good side. He had Pat Nevin, Scottish international, fit. Up down the pitch, great chances, great skills. Everyone has a bit of something in them that you'd say that that makes them stand out. When you get players coming in and you look at them and say to them, they made you play better. So everyone that I've just mentioned that plays at such a high level, really good qualities. You know, you, you've got to hold your hands up and say that's why they got where they did. Yeah. And we we have mentioned this kind of the journey that you went on. How, how how did you find it year on year, sort of adapting and having to to improve and sort of reaching another level yourself? Well, every time you got promoted, obviously supporters are thinking, "No, he's come from non-league. He's got in the fourth division. I don't think he's going to be able to do it in the third. So that tells me your mindset, your fitness, and the way you play, achieve things. Look after yourself. You've got to move on and prove people wrong. And that's what I did to you that day. So every time he went up, everyone thought, he's not going to be able to mark him, he's not going to be able to stop these players, he's not going to play as he's playing against, he's going to be on league, he's not going to be able to do it. So I was in the mode of, I've got to prove people wrong. And I've done it for 10 years, you know, and that's why I got on so well with players in the team, because they knew I was fighting like hell to stay in that team, and I had to be because we had quality players. Look after yourself, do the job on the pitch, the manager shouldn't leave it out, and that's what I did. And do you think sort of the fact that Kingy was bringing in the likes of like Pat Nevin and Liam O'Brien, Mark Proctor, and all these guys, Neil McNabb, that have played at the the top level, you're kind of learning as as much off them as you are sort of motivating yourself to to improve. Well, you see how good they are in training. You want to be as near to them as you can yeah. because you know you're going to come up against players in the football league because you, you keep going up the divisions it's going to get harder the better on the ball the fitter the quicker stronger upstairs with the, the reds to sort of you know think well out of here you've got to get to that level otherwise you're going to struggle and with the Johnny King bringing in certain players that you've just named you know even Davy Fairclough coming to the team you can tell by the quality you've got to try and get near to that standard if you can if you want to stay in this team and again to keep moving the team on, and that's what we have to do. Okay, one last topic I'd like to talk to you about is um, goalkeeping, because yeah. this comes up a lot when people on social media think about Dave Higgins. Yeah. Um, they remember you going in goal after um, after a couple of red cards for I think it was Danny Coyne both times, was it? It was, yeah. Piece of the way, uh, he got sent off. Uh, I think we drew one-one. And then uh, New Year's Day, 1997, West Brom away. We won 2-0 or 2-1. Oh, don't score two goals. But people always ask me, was, uh, you know, when Nico used to play, was Eric Nixon the best 
goalkeeper in the division. And I used to say he wasn't the best goalkeeper at Sambia. <laughs> he had Danny Troy, then me, and then Nico. So that's the old story anyway. <laughs> and what does Nico think about that? Well, I don't care where he thinks. <laughs> I don't think I've told him this one yet, but he's going to know about it. But playing and goal, I he just got asked, would you like? Don't worry. He will, don't worry. <laughs> um, you didn't, when I played the Peterborough away, you didn't use to have a goalie on the bench, but I think when we played against West Brom away, you would allow the goalkeeper on the bench, but I don't think John Arnold would have the goalkeeper on the bench, otherwise you would have brought him on. Yeah. I got asked, who's rolling goal? I'd take the shirt. I played the goal when I was younger in a certain game, do you know what I mean? When I was just an amateur, so yeah. I, I used to love playing in goal. It wasn't something that I practiced in training or not, it was just a natural thing that I liked to do. And, you know, what we were unbeaten by us in goal, which is, you know, I must have been too bad. Yeah, two out of two. We won two more than one one. Which isn't too bad. Yeah, I think you kept a clean sheet on the... It was snowy, wasn't it, on the New Year's Day? Oh, it was I... Yeah. We were throwing snowballs to the crowd at me to the goal. <laughs> I remember it. It was icy. It was all the snow we took off the pitch. So it was built up at the back of the goal. And, uh, yeah, I was on two goals. Two nil or two one, I think it was, yeah. Yeah. We were one nil right. down when you went in goal. Yeah, we were, yeah. <laughs> Managed to do a couple of saves. The defence played well that day, though. So, I had a good back there, essentially. Yeah. Was it a case of, uh, particularly in that West Brom one, you just wanted to keep a bit warmer with the goalie top on? Well, of course. Uh, I put that over me shirt that I had on. It was freezing. <laughs> Solid ice. The ball was slippy. You know, the worst time you could have picked it got him down. We won it, you know, and yeah, I think we deserved to win. I didn't have a lot to do, but yeah. whatever they had to do, I just kept it simple and we won. Yeah. So you've, you've never sort of practiced this? Because obviously, no. you know, back in the day when there was only sort of two substitutes on the bench, yeah. you, wouldn't yeah. have a, you wouldn't have a goalkeeper. No, is this, well, is this not something that um, was was practiced within clubs? No, because... And outfield <laughs> player having to go in goal? Cause, you know, no, you don't. Have I mean... Red card for goalkeepers. Oh, you did, yeah. But I remember you saying one of the lads played we got beat 6-1 with that lad. Oh, uh, Theo Whitmore. Yeah, well, you know, that could have happened to me, but we, we were playing against West Ham and it was a high league. It was uh, like the championship, if you like. Yeah. We went away. Goalkeeper sent off. Frosty Day, New Year's Day, I think. Here we go. I just got involved in a winning situation. If he scored, I mean, I'm not a goalie anyway, so you can't play me, but... We didn't have much others, I'll be honest with you. As a team, we stuck together. We were solid as a as a ten, and they managed to win. Yeah, it seems strange though that um, outfield players never sort of practice having to go in goal, even if it's just sort of in a friendly, you know, five v five in training or whatever. It's just a bit bizarre. Yeah, but you have three and four goalies at clubs now, don't you? Yeah, so the time, you don't have yeah. the, you know, the one goal. Couple, the yeah. yeah, no, you just didn't do that. What you do is you bring the young guy in, like under 16, under 18 goalie, and then yeah. he's playing the five sides and that's so not really, you wouldn't think about that. Yeah. But uh, it happened, it happened. I mean, you have goalkeepers on the bench now, which is a good thing, so that makes it easier. Yeah. Right, um, before I let you go, Dave, We've got yes. some, uh, some questions from uh, Hi, yep. our listeners that we'll go through, if you wouldn't mind. Questions? No problem at all. So, here's one. Um, can you ask, Keegan, what would he be like as a manager? 
this guy says the other bench was heat having in uh, having you in their ears for 90 minutes but would have been massively fun yeah have you ever thought about going into management or well, I, took, I, I took my coaching badges 96, 97 you ain't a B you ain't a A and as the time then I sort of just out of football do what you've got to do and then I'm involved on the sort of radio side of it now you see what I mean but you never say never, you know, there's always availabilities if ever you want to go there. You've got the uh, qualification to play that at high standard. I played in every league on the National League right up to the Championship, you know. So I must have some experience to give to other teams. Well, I've never thought about it as a manager. As an assistant, possibly, yeah. Would have to be the right job? I don't know. You'll never say never. Yeah. You ever think about how you would sort of cope with... I guess and it's it's quite different these days. You know, the modern football is a little bit yeah. more high maintenance than back in the day. But so yeah, let's yeah. think about how you'd how you'd sort of manage those. Well, I'd, I'd manage them the way I'd expect to be managed. You know, talking them like a man. Obviously, we've got agents now who are just thinking about that certain player. And clubs, just you know, a lot of them are cast up now. So that's why you're getting a hell of a lot of loan players in and out, in and out. You know, the wages are so high. I'd have to have one of the chairmen of the directors to deal with that money side of it. But just certain players that you're after, you want to get them on your side, obviously. So you've got to be good to them, and hopefully they'll show on the pitch do you want to play for Yeah. Okay, next one. What half-time team talk do you really remember as one that stands out and made a huge difference for a big second half? I think it was one of the little tough games against the top of the Chelsea, and we were playing too well. I mean, so by Johnny saying, listen, these are just men automatics. Forget what division they're in, where they play them, what the names are. You just go out there and stand up to them and get, get your mindset right that they are just players. They're tightened all over the pitch and you won't be far off. And that proved to be right because we were standing off them and we were in order of them, to be honest. So that's what helped us at that same time, hard time to work. Yeah, OK, that's cool. Uh, Nick asks, uh, what what were your feelings when you lost a, a, a centre-half partnership like when Steve Vickers or Sean Garnett left the club? Was it a case of being disappointed, disappointed or relieved that to, to have less competition or were you pleased for them to have moved on and sort of tried to better their careers? Well, first and foremost, I don't mind competition. If someone's after my place, it makes me want to play more, uh, play better, train better. Yeah. So that wasn't a problem. It's just that I lost a good friend, Stephen Vickers, and then Sherman. I lost him as well. He was a good lad on the social side of it, you know. So they want to move on as everyone does. I mean, if I went, think, think the same as me. Good luck. Go to a higher club, better club, bigger club, whatever it was. That's the time. You know, you just have to get used to things in life in general. Whoever comes in, get used to knowing them. We have a good social side to the team, to be fair. So it wasn't too difficult to get used to a partnership. Everyone was together in the same place. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, sort of feeding on from that, who was the best centre-half you played alongside? Well, the most uh, player I played with was Stevie Vickers. He had really good attributes. He was Chris with me. Sean was great in the But not as Chris. John McGree up. And it was good on the ball, not bad in the air. So everyone had their own abilities and their own qualities. Uh, 
because I played with Richie so much, so long, you know, I, yeah, I found that I had a better partnership with him. Uh, keeping on that theme, looking at the the more modern Tranmere teams, mm. who would you who do you think that you'd partner well with from the like the current crop of players? Well, I feel that like whoever's played centre half for them, you know, they've all tried to be left in, left out, injured, you know, they haven't ever settled back four, have they? So the only one I can think of at the moment is is Ian Goodison who played a long time for Tranmere, you know, and everyone rated him. I would have liked to have a good couple of games with him just to see how his qualities were and what his type of talking was because he was a laid back guy you know so maybe him we'll have to get, get him involved in one of these charity games George oh, that'll be good very good <laughs> I've only just I played a charity game last year it was a, I, I was partnered with Clint Hill so that was a good um, source of you know playing with Clint he's played you know in the premiership that was yeah. really good good stuff yeah. uh, toughest striker you came up against well, everyone has a, like, very good qualities, in tough games. Um, I think Paul Walsh and uh, Steve Claridge. Steve Claridge, because he always played with his socks half down. He looked a scruffy player, but he had a real good touch, quick thinking, tenure, good player, played for years for Birmingham City, and Paul Walsh, obviously, small, quick, tenure. These big fellas who were like good in the air, you could sort of let them have the flick-ons and you'd have people picking the pieces up like Matthews. But you these little quick players come off you, attack you with the ball, dribble. I found them difficult. So most of them still clowns on the progress. So you'd rather play up against a big target man than a... Well, yes, you know what you expect, yeah. These ones are up, left back the ball, try and miss it. Uh, it's these pacey little fellows who are quick to turn you and get at you that are really difficult. Right, we had a lot of comments coming in about your socks and how you used to pull them up. Yeah. What was ADHD. <laughs> I believe it's called. Yeah. It's just a nervous thing. Everyone has a nervous thing. You know, we used to have Nico blowing his fringe all the time. I go, why are you doing that? He wasn't aware he was doing it. Uh, lads have little superstitions now. That. that was just a nervous switch with me, honestly. Kept yeah. my mind set right thinking about the game anyway. Yeah, uh, if it worked, it worked. It did, it did for me. Good stuff. Uh, who was harder to mark in training, John Aldridge or Ian Muir? Um, Although was a great finishing, Muir, he was off the ball, come turn. So they both had the qualities, and they had to pick one. It was most probably Aldridge because... He'd always score goals in Salem. You know, he wasn't far behind him, but, oh, God. Between you, he, he played at such a high level, and you realise, also, he was better than the year than him, you know, so balls coming in, he'd be there in front of you, so I'd say Aldridge. Okay. Um, here's one to Tony. Did you ever doubt that you, when you were playing non-league football that you were ever going to be good enough to play in the Football League and then eventually, you know, into the second division? I always felt I had the ability to go higher, but it was just someone taking the chance on me. Because as I said earlier, I was going away to New Zealand and I thought it bypassed me, but right place, right time, nice man, great manager, and I can't thank him enough for getting me where he did, Johnny King. And I've one from uh, Brian Robinson. Is your lad still reffing? And if so, at what level? No, he works on a ship, he works for a, a major company and uh, he can't get to referee now because he's on the ship so long. So, unfortunately, he would have liked to have took it on a little bit further, but 
Carl because of his work permits. Okay, doke. And last one, and we'll we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about this. But um, how much do you enjoy the the commentary work? And obviously, you're working with uh, with Big Phil in the uh, yeah. on the commentary for the for the club. How much do you enjoy that side of things? It's an eye opener. You've got to do your own work about certain players. Watching the game from that height, looking down on the pitch, you see a totally different game as the people are going out. And then you sort of go, you realise how much these radio presenters put into that all their sort of stuff in front of them. You know, they've got to do a lot of work, a lot of background work. I know it's easy because of the internet now, but uh, that's so important. But you enjoy that side of things. Obviously, it keeps you involved with the club and it does. keeps yeah. you kind of involved in football, I guess, which is, well, has been a massive, massive part of your life. It, it did, and it has, and it's made me realise what the support of people yet, how appreciative I am of what they think of me. But it also got me involved in a training, the Unite Foundation, and I got myself and a few others to two world records, and without the radio, etc., that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, no, there's, uh, speaking from a personal point of view, there's kind of the amount of effort you you put into uh, to our training and helping us yeah. sort yeah. of help keep us going. Because I guess if it was just sort of Jay Bloggs sort of asking you to, to do stuff, yeah. you kind of take away a pinch of salt. But the fact it was yeah. you and everyone looked up to you and you you know you've obviously achieved so much as we've as we spoke about in the last hour or so. Yeah, um, well, what we did, we used to off each other, didn't we, Paul? Yeah. And we all used wanted to do a world record. I was there to help get used to all the hard work. Everything last off was you did, and more. And you were there giving up your time. Even when I couldn't make it, that's the worst. Going there, playing for hour after hour. And when you done the world record, it was all because of your attitude, the way you trained. And it wasn't training, it wasn't coaching, it was training. Hard work, hard grass. I tried to mix it up a little bit to make it a bit of fun. It's out. You know, we all seem to get on, you know. Again, good, good communication with each other, socialising a little here, bit here and there. Helps it all a lot. And well done, these lads. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. And how, how do you find the uh, the commentary work? Because obviously there's been a, a few videos this season of you getting quite excited when when Chamney get a goal. How, how yeah. do you manage to, uh, to keep your emotions in check? Well, everyone always says to me, how do you manage not to swear on the radio? Because uh, I don't know. I just I get so excited and feel part of it. You just want to see them doing so well, seeing what the chairman's put into the club, seeing what the players have put in, how hard they're saying, how they play. And all the support, you just want them to go on and on, you know. And sometimes you have bad, you know, bad games. You just got to take it. But the next game's the most important was move on, try and move on, and then when we score, when the cows are up for it, you know, Clinton Park's rocking, isn't it? And I, I just can't help it, I just feel positive. <laughs> you get involved. Yeah, oh, you've got to be. It's a cool passion, isn't it? Yeah. You haven't got passion for the game, I don't know, really. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you, Dave. And, uh... Paul? Thank you very much for asking me, mate. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. No worries, and uh, we'll we'll catch up soon. And uh, I yeah. hope so. Cheers for sharing some Thanks, of your, uh, happy memories. Nice one, Dave. Cheers, mate. Thank you so much. Bye now. Take care, mate. Ta-da. <laughs>